10th. Joining me now from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, our good friend, Mr. Albat. Neither rain nor thunder can keep him from talking about birds. Good morning, Al. Good morning. Boy, it drove me in yesterday. I was outside and doing things that you do on Memorial Day, and oh, it I don't know how it could have rained any harder. No, I don't. Uh, how much did you get? Minutes. We got about um, two and a little over two inches here, but it was steady all day long, starting in the morning. Yeah, I have no idea. I I just put my rain gauge up today, so I'm really late on this. Mm-hmm. But boy, we got a lot. I look out in the field here, and they have become lakes once again. So it was, uh, uh, I was just uh, had a lot of things I wanted to do outside and uh, things to look at, and it just uh, it takes a lot of rain to drive me indoors but uh, man that, <laughs> that did it so hard i know i talked to some guy he went through a drive through at wendy's and he said he had to get out of his car and walk around <laughs> and go inside and tell him what he wanted because it was raining so hard they couldn't hear one another over the mic so he went inside got the order and then walked back out and sat in his car oh my got gosh through the window there so it was raining that hard but that's, uh, I guess that's Minnesota, and it's, yeah, it's just the way we are. I, I want to thank the Austin Lions for allowing me to participate in the, their big doings there. And, and also, to and my wife and I attend a lot of grad parties, and uh, man, uh, just thank all the good kids. And, and the good food, too. Man, they always have good food at those things. So we've been to Mankato, Albert Lee, New Ulm, Sleepy Eye, and traveling around on that grad party circuit and i know a lot of people listening understand that because they do the same thing and but this is one of the this is one of the best times of year for for many many reasons but one is i smell the lilacs i love oh, the smell yes. of lilacs in the morning it, it, the smell has weight yes. and some i know find the fragrance cloying but i find it <laughs> heavenly and memory producing so this morning I did so, and I try to every day that they are in bloom, I go out and inhale some lilac scents. And yes. I was pleased that so many birds decided to spend time in my company this morning while I was doing that. Little animated birds fed with a vigor larger than their size. And they were feeding on uh, caterpillars that were feeding on leaflets. And small things are a big part of my life, and I was just so happy to see them. I watched a raccoon eat under a bird feeder here, and a catbird landed on the shepherd's hook holding the feeder, and it it pooped. Uh, Everyone has to go. And its aim was excellent. It was a direct hit on the raccoon. I don't think it was intentional or anything, but I thought it was funny, but the raccoon didn't pay any attention at all. That Didn't he try and wipe it off or anything? I know the last time I got pooped on by a bird, I was at, in Duluth, you know, at that beautiful canal park, and they have all those those seagulls that are around there, those white ones, and, and I remember, this was a while ago, but I had the the uh, stroller with Grant in it at the time and was like, oh, look at all these birds. And people were feeding him French fries and potato chips and things. And they were all around. And all of a sudden, bloop out of the sky, right on the <laughs> stroller with my kid on it and my purse. And, and uh, first thing I did was wipe it away. So I was just wondering why the, the raccoon just ignored it. That's be hard for me to do. But. Yeah, it just, uh, <laughs> I suppose it figured, uh, no, there's nothing I can do about that. So he was so busy eating uh, he was eating bird seed that oh. had fallen to the ground. Uh, not only sunflower seeds, but 
a little bit of grape jelly had dripped down there. So he was getting sunflower seeds with a little grape jelly on them, and he just seemed very intent on that. And nothing else was going to stop him from uh, doing what he was doing. Say, speaking of grape jelly, I got a note this morning from Rich in Mankato that it was quite a jelly story, I thought. So Rich said he was in the Aldi, I assume in Mankato here, he's from Mankato, he says, the guy behind me at Aldi's last week had three cases of grape jelly. And I'm thinking, probably not for peanut butter sandwiches either, do you think? (laughs) (laughs) And and Rich also said uh, Miniopa bison have at least eight new calves. Yeah, to see and to see out there. And when he said that, I looked in the Children's Museum of Southern Minnesota this Wednesday. I want to make sure people or no, this Thursday, the thirtieth, have an event featuring about bison. It was uh, Scott Kadelka of the Miniopa Area Naturalist, and he's talking on uh, bison, the American bison, the largest mammal of the Great Plains, and he is going to be talking on uh, them at ten a.m. this. Thursday, uh, May 30th at the Southern Minnesota Children's Museum. So I thought I'd add that too, and I'm sure he'll have pictures and talk about those eight calves out there too. Well, that's cool. He does a wonderful job, and it's it's, it's cool seeing baby anything, but there's something about seeing baby bison, knowing that this little thing's going to grow up to be that huge thing over there is just really cool. And Rich also said he had a scarlet tanger land beside him while he was planting tomatoes. He said, beautiful red and black. Are they kind of rare around here? I'm not sure I've seen any before. They they pass through here, and some do stay here uh, and nest. Uh, they like bigger patches of woods in general, but maybe that's changing a little bit, too. A lot of them, where we see them in abundance would be the woodlands of north-central Minnesota. That seems to be their ideal situation for nesting. But we do see them going through here. They will come to jelly feeders. Uh, they eat insects. Uh, folks have told me seeing them on suet feeders. They are just breathtakingly beautiful, and I'm glad you got to see one. Uh, the guy behind him at all these that had the three cases of grape jelly was was not me. <laughs> That's what I, I, was I, wish, <laughs> I wish it had been. That would have been my whole allowance right there. I stopped at a store the other day. We ran out of grape jelly, and I was in a rush to get from here to there like everybody is. So I had time to stop at one store. I go into the store. There's no grape jelly. The whole grape jelly shelf is gone. There's just nothing there. So there's a nice young man comes up, and he could tell I was somewhat perplexed. And he said, "Uh, may I help you? And I said, grape jelly. Yeah, boy, it just that stuff sells. He said, I might have some in the back because they always, you know, we might have something in the back. I don't know if they go back and look. Maybe they just go through the door and stand there and look at their watch for three minutes and come out and say, I looked everywhere. There are just none. So I grabbed the strawberry because I had to come home with some kind of jelly. So I came home, and then we had to leave right away. So I ran outside and threw some uh, strawberry jelly in the in the grape jelly feeders. And uh, when we came back later, boy, they had snarfed every bit. You couldn't even see a smear of that strawberry on there anymore. They'd eaten it all. So they will eat other kinds of uh, jelly other than just grape. And I... I don't think Orioles are very picky when it comes to jelly. I've been told that the Baltimore Orioles enjoy the grape flavor because it tastes similar to the dark, ripe fruits that they eat naturally. 
Uh, jelly feeders attract other birds. Everybody knows gray cat birds, woodpeckers, scarlet tanagers, house finches, rose-breasted grosbeaks, and others, uh, some warblers. Uh, but Orioles, I have found through the years, they will eat orange marmalade. Uh, people have told me they will eat apricot preserves. They'll eat cherry, strawberry, apple, or raspberry jams or jellies. Don't you think they'll I, eat pretty much anything that's sweet? I mean, do, do you think it's grape matters? Don't you think it's just the sweetness that they prefer, or or do you think it really probably matters? the sweetness and the in the fruit? Ah, I would okay. guess too. So. Uh, you know, we we have jellies and jams, and they're both made from fruit, sugar, and pectin. And in jelly, the fruit is in the form of juice, and jam is chunkier form that contains pulp or crushed fruit. So, uh, yeah, I think any, uh, you know, in a pinch. But uh, I know a lot of folks have gone through so much jelly, and uh, this young man, and he actually knew why they were doing it. I've been in stores before, and they said, I don't know, there must be some recipe out there that needs grape jelly. But this young man said, apparently they're feeding them to birds. So he, he knew that, <laughs> and a very nice young fellow. He just, uh, either, that, sure he was back either that or he, or he thought there was some new grape jelly diet that maybe he needed to learn about. Yeah, that's, that could very well be if some celebrity diet comes out and says, I lost uh, 13 pounds in two weeks <laughs> from just, just eating grape jelly. <laughs> and I thought, wow. But uh, they, that was not me and all these rich, but, uh, boy, more power to the fellow that was doing that. So. I've got another oh, observation I, I want to share from sure. a listener in St. Paul who, who talked about it. She said that, um, let's see, where is it here? I said, okay, he says, that reminds me, I saw a huge red-tailed hawk in the tree right across the street a few days ago. Now, she's in St. Paul, by the way. There was so much yep. squawking by blackbirds, I had to look out to see what the heck was going on, and there he was. He caught one of the birds. I could see its tail hanging down from its claws, and that hawk just sat there looking around, calm and in control as could be, never even flinched as the other blackbirds were screaming at him and diving at him. She said, I took a bunch of pics, but they're not real clear because of her old phone. Oh. But he sat there for a good 20 minutes before flying away quite the sight he said i googled red tail hawk to make sure my guess was right and it was he says we have a few she said we have a few pairs of cardinals too that hang around i'm always just staring out my window at the birds so so what's the deal what was he doing with that little blackbird was he going to eat him or or what yeah and if it's a blackbird the blackbirds are hard for them to catch but uh, i'm sure they get them on occasion and oh i think sometimes they just hope that the hubbub dies down <laughs> so the other birds uh, the, and blackbirds are just notorious for attacking hawks or owls or great blue herons or crows or anything they find and they will peck them it, you know somebody said it looks like they're pecking them i said well it looks that way because they're pecking them they they don't like them and they want them out of there so i think sometimes they when they first land they are mobbed the birds just come in and mob them, trying to drive them out of there. And after a while, the birds said, well, you know, I've done my job. i got other things to do. And look at the, my, boy, look at my calendar. I just got a long list of things to do. So then they will leave. So then the hawk will be able to fly away. And, of course, as soon as he flies then, then they, a lot of them will come back and attack him again because then they think, well, we're driving him out of the area, which in a way they are. But, yeah, that's a cool thing to see. And, man, that's what happens when we look out the window. It's amazing what we see out of there and great to hear from you. I saw a lot of um, yellow rump warblers this spring, and I do that every year. But it was interesting. I was typing up a column, 
and autocorrect one of them to be yellow rumpled warblers. So instead of yellow rump, they became yellow rumpled. So it's, <laughs> uh, it was cool. I heard uh, the song of a bobolink, and it just seems that's a happy sound. The bird just seems so happy with the world. Uh, and as uh, Richard mentioned, I've seen a good number of black-winged redbirds to uh, scarlet tanagers, and I realize that the bird of happiness comes in many colors. So I, when I see one, I make a wish. I don't know if there's any belief in that, but it, it seems like the right thing to do. Uh, an April wind, boy, we had some nasty weather in April, and one wind blew hard enough to gnaw rock. And the, I called it the ice storm Ichabod. It knocked down some of our trees. And the tree is a bed and breakfast for birds. And trees with architectural problems fell and smashed a number of uh, faithful bird feeders in our yard. And replacements uh, have been secured. It'll be good but different. I led a bird hike at Afton State Park and saw a pair of ravens. I'd never seen them in that park before. It'd be uh, Washington County. Paula Como, uh, she's a naturalist at Blue Stem Prairie Scientific and Natural Area near Glendon, Minnesota. I was talking to her up there, and she told me uh, we were walking by plum trees, and she said that coyotes love to eat wild plums. It's one of their favorite things. A good friend uh, named Carol Henderson, uh, I've known Carol forever and just one of the world's best people. He's a retired director of the Nun Game Wildlife Program of the Minnesota DNR. He was birding in Guatemala, Colombia, Costa Rica. I'm pretty sure it was one of them, but in this report it doesn't matter which one it was. He was having an amazing time. He just bought a new camera and he found it much to his liking. And he gave his previous camera a perfectly good DSLR and its accompanying tripod to his guide. And it made two people very, very happy. Uh, Neil Bat who uh, lives not far from me here. He saw a pileated woodpecker and a cooper's hawk. Yuri Justin of Allendale has seen some yellow-headed blackbirds. Oh, what beautiful... Uh, and they, what, a, what a great name. They have yellow heads and they're a blackbird. The males will have a little white on the wing, and sometimes um, their head will show bits of kind of an orangish color on occasion. Uh, Joyce Street saw a scarlet tanger and sent me a photo of two red foxes uh, just sitting there uh, looking at the world, and they had white tips on the tail. Uh, Donna Swenson of Wasika said she, they have a pond by their house, and now they have Canada goose goslings mowing the lawn <laughs> and seeing many orioles this year. Bobby Forster of Hollandale sent me a photo of a scarlet tanager. Jim Wernemont of Spring Valley sent me a photo of a scarlet tanger. Uh, Jerry Victoria of Allendale, uh, scarlet tanger, indigo bunting, uh, wild turkey tom displaying in his yard. And I stopped by Jerry's house, and here was one uh, wild turkey tom, had his tail spread and strutting around, but then he saw me, and I suppose I was a stranger, and he hoofed it out of there. When Jerry's there, he said they just keep on... They just ignore him and just keep strutting around. Uh, Neil Lang of Albert Lee, a wonderful musician, 
saw a Tennessee warbler on his jelly and suet feeders. He said many, many Orioles this year, indigo buntings, uh, black and white, blackburnian, and magnolia warblers in his yard. He said everything was slow this year as far as migration. But having a water feature sure helps. And he has one that makes a little water sound, too, has a drip to it or a run. Uh, Jerry Holkstra. Jerry said in Steele County, seeing uh, there were eight ruddy turnstones in the Armstrong wetland restoration. There were also bairds, leased, and semi-palmated sandpipers there. Sherry Daniels sent my wife a photo of a great horned owl nest with an owlet and an adult on it. Uh, Diane Stencil of New Richland uh, thanked me for posting bird photos. And uh, the ones that are posted that she's seeing, I'm sure, are on Facebook, and my wife posts those. So I do post some on Twitter. Uh, Susan Kennedy said a cowbird has been making repeated attempts to stuff herself into an active wren's nest box. <laughs> However, the hole in the box is a tiny one inch. I guess hope springs eternal even for cowbirds. Yeah. Uh, Scott Batt uh, had a photo of a cowbird couple on a car's mirror, and Scott is an Iowan. Uh, T.J. Davis uh, saw a scarlet tanager, and he asked, why don't I see any young pelicans? Um, T.J. lives just into Iowa, south of Albert Lee area. And the reason, uh, T.J., you wouldn't see any there is we don't have any here. They like nests, and when I say we don't have any here, I'm talking just about the area where T.J. lives. So there are Minnesota Lake and some of these areas where you will see young pelicans, but they like uh, an island. Well, they nest elsewhere on occasion, but they prefer an island, and that's why we don't see any. Uh, Darla Bat of Heartland saw a great horned owl. Dennis and Mary Carlson of New Alm said, have I noticed climate change's impact on birds? Um, yeah, uh, warmer temperatures are forcing birds to winter and breed farther north than in the past. So there certainly are. We can look back on the dates of their coming and their going and their nesting and see these changes. Uh, Pamela Freeman said, after more poring over field books and sites, and then, yes, another sighting, I believe I have a correct ID for my jelly-nibbling, sleek, olive-back bird with an eye line, Tennessee Warbler. Huh. It wasn't sampling jelly as time. I was foraging among the thicket at the edge of what used to be the edge of a marsh, but now is a lake, shallow lake, but a lake nevertheless. And there were two of them. Also be still my leaping heart, a scarlet tanager on my suet. I came around the corner and saw the most intense red, a small single bird upon a double suet feeder with tail support, not something that took great space in the panoramic view before me of multiple greens of spring woods and thicket, pond, marsh, creek, now lake, in a sunny blue sky, yet his color commanded all of my attention. My focus zeroed in to that pinpoint of red, cardinal, no, not on the suet, and not so red, red tanager, my brain exclaimed, just as I saw the so black wings to go with that red body. Also saw a yellow warbler sighted in the same areas of Tennessee. Uh, Dean Musing. Uh, Dean said he saw a couple cowbirds in his yard, and he was kind enough to send me this from Audubon. Uh, it says the best solution... And cowbirds, again, they lay their eggs, their nest parasites lay their eggs in another bird's nest. 
and then they're absentee parents, although it sounds like they show up every so often just to make sure everything is going well. Audubon says the best solution is to leave cowbird eggs alone, said Steve Rothstein, emeritus professor of zoology at the University of California, Santa Barbara, who has researched the effects of cowbird parasitism on endangered species. It's a natural process, and we shouldn't attach human values about killing or being sneaky to the natural world. The reasons are multifold and encompass both the new law both the law and unintended consequences. U.S. law says that people should not interfere with cowbird eggs. As a native species, a brown-headed cowbird is protected under the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, and taking eggs is illegal without a permit. While permits for cowbird control are granted, it's only done when they're considered a threat to an endangered bird. For example, in Michigan, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service traps an average of 4,000 cowbirds each year to protect endangered Kirtland's warblers. And in California, a cowbird trapping program by the Ventura Audubon Society has led to a resurgence of leased Bell's Vireos at the Hedrick Ranch Nature Area. The law is only one reason to leave eggs untouched. Interference can have unintended effects. That's because most birds in North America don't have egg recognition abilities, often not even for their own eggs. However, parents do keep track of the total mass of eggs in their nest. Many seem to assume the cowbird egg is part of their clutch and will have a nest desertion response if we remove a certain proportion of their eggs. So in other words, if we take an egg out of there, they had four, they come back and there's three, they might desert their nest. They may even desert the entire area and find a new nesting spot. Worse, egg removal can result in retribution by cowbird parents. This is this really interesting. In a 2007 study led by avian ecologist Jeffrey Hoover with the Illinois Natural History Survey, documented what's known as the mafia behavior. In the experiment, scientists observed the effects of removing brown-headed cowbird eggs from parasitized warbler nests. In 56% of the cases, cowbird mothers returned and ransacked the nest, destroying most of all eggs. Again, the mafia behavior. Comparatively, 6% of the nests were destroyed when the humans didn't interfere. So, boy, thank you. That was really nice of you to send that. It's I have been out to Michigan and seen these huge... Huge cowbird nests out there, Dean. Or uh, traps. It's incredible to see them all. So all the cowbirds are in this gigantic bird trap, and Cooper's hawks are flying down and trying to get at them in there. So it was, it was kind of kind of creepy in a way, but it was interesting to see. Uh, Jack Brush. Jack lives in New Ulm, and Jack says, uh, "How do I get rid of all these grackles and?" You know, Jack, you can try feeding safflower. You can put a cage around the uh, bird feeder so the grackles can't get in it. But I think perhaps Jack was asking how to get them out of his yard. Yeah, good luck. It's just just real hard to get rid of them. I guess if you didn't have any trees at all. But they would still come and visit, and they like our lawns for feeding on. So I wish I had a better answer for you, but... I don't, Jack. Uh, what eats slugs? Uh, oh, I wish, yeah, I wish I had whatever it is and eat them all, but I've been using sluggo, I'm just telling you. 
And it, all it is is an initial on this, and I'm not sure because it's, it's right up against the another word so sometimes you know we when we finish something we bump another letter so i'm not sure if this is from s or if it's it's not but what eats slugs uh boy not me i <laughs> i mean a lot of things but who knows maybe i have you know i, I like accidentally salad, so. yeah yeah um things that dying on slugs i think of toads number one and that's why we put those little toad houses in our gardens because we like toads uh, snakes, like a garter snake, will certainly eat slugs. Frogs will eat them. There's a lot of wonderful ground beetles that we have will eat them. Uh, turtles. Uh, firefly larvae, wonderful lightning bug larvae will eat them. Really? And people tell huh. me that ducks, ducks and chickens will eat them, and then some songbirds. I don't know how big, uh, great a predator songbirds are on slugs, but they would certainly eat some. So there are things out there that will eat them. And slugs don't have a lot of fans. You know, there's a uh, uh, college in California where their athletic teams are nicknamed the banana slugs, which it makes a really cool name. But for the most part, there aren't a whole lot of fans of slugs. We just, they leave a slime trail. The more people spend on a hosta, the more slugs will eat that hosta. And we we mulch around the hostas, which makes for a, a moist climate, and that's what slugs want to is a moist climate, so they can be real hard on hostas. And again, as I say, the more you spend on the hosta, the more the slugs will want to eat it. <laughs> it so seems like it's just, true. <laughs> yeah, they're just not our, our, our a favorite. I'm sure there's. I know there are people that study slugs, so there's probably some folks somewhere that say, my favorite uh, creature in the whole wide world, oh, a slug, without any doubt, and we'll tell you how wonderful slugs are. And uh, But uh, most of us, and a lot of people put out boards and then just go out and turn over the board, and there will be all those slugs, and they'll get rid of them that well, way. That's one of my friend, Master Gardener Barb Lampson does. She puts boards and things out there, and then she goes and picks them off. And I just, oh, that just grosses me out. I've, I've been, <laughs> I, I, I heard that if you do the, uh, what it's, it's iron phosphate, so it's, you know, it's not like a chemical. It's, it's something that you find in the, the naturally, and you put that out, and, it, and it's supposed to, the slugs are supposed to eat it, and it's supposed to somehow wreck their digestive system, so they die. And they say if you get oh. out before them, before they get into the, the their life cycle, you know, where they start reproducing a lot, you can maybe get them. So I started really early when it was still kind of cold out, but it was starting to warm up, so I'm hoping I killed, you know, the cycle, but who knows? We'll see. Yeah, and uh, boy, this is this is pretty good slug weather. Oh, this it's damp, wet, cool wet, perfect. And, yeah. Yeah, no no sunshine much, and they just, so they should, I'm thinking, well, every year is a pretty good slug year, but I'm thinking this will be an exceptional um, slug year. Well, last year certainly and, wasn't for earwigs. Do you know what, we, I'm sure we'll get to talk about earwigs again, but I had never seen so many earwigs until the last couple of years. Did the, Are they on kind of a cycle like the, cicadas are do you know or or will they be back in force again or what are you thinking highs and lows I, I, yeah i think a good share of insects are cyclical and a mm. lot of it of course is dependent on weather yeah. not the weather we're having now but maybe the weather back ways 
but a lot of insects are cyclical. I think of the multicolored Asian lady beetles. Mm-hmm. Just for a while there, you just you couldn't go outside with having a bunch of them crawl on you. Everybody's house was filled with them. Now those numbers have kind of dropped back. Well, not kind of, they've dropped back dramatically. And uh, will we get them back in those numbers again? Who knows? But it's just uh, it's nice not to have them everywhere. And last year church, was Japanese beetle. Uh, were just huge, and they I'm were hoping. Terrible. Yeah, I'm hoping that they will be reduced this year as well. And they can fly in from uh, at least five miles away. Ugh. One uh, scientist told me he thought they could fly in from 15 miles away, but that might be with a wind or something, mm. too. But uh, they can fly five miles away. So, And uh, folks put out uh, Japanese beetle traps, and uh, they work, but sadly they seem to draw in all kinds of Japanese beetles. I want to tell all my neighbors to have the um, to put in those Japanese beetle traps, and that way they'll go to their yard instead of mine. <laughs> that's what yep, I think that's the best thing because you put it in your garden, and then all of a sudden you have more Japanese beetles than you've ever had because you put out this trap to attract. So, yeah, them. That'd be perfect. All the neighbors have one. Yeah. Hey, before you go, John in New Alm wanted to share something. He said his dad saw a blue jay feed a blue jay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they will do th- do that as a, a pair bonding, and then, of course, later in the year when they have young ones, they'll do that also. And he said, here's an easy one. I always hate when he says easy one because you know it's yeah. going to Okay. Why was the broom late? It overswept. You got that one. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I am so proud. I'm going to give myself one of those little golden stars plus a um, certificate <laughs> of participation for the day, so... I, I hope John will come to the cafe where the food chain is missing a few links. The special is always a Heimlich maneuver, and gravy is considered a beverage and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any. I attended a funeral for my wife's cousin, Diane Wendland, in Wasika last week. Uh, there was a bagpiper there. I I love hearing bagpipes at funerals, as long as I'm not right next to him when he's playing, because that not only knocks the <laughs> wax out of my ears, it curls my eyebrows. I encountered a friend and former teammate, Neil Berg, there, and Neil asked if I was getting shorter or if it was a loss of hair that made me look diminished, Aww. and I laughed. I laughed until a second fella mentioned I looked shorter than I used to. Aww. And I told him, I told him, well, I'd been down to 5 feet 9 inches tall, but I'd be back to 6 feet 4 inches in a couple of days because my, wa- my weight stays the same, but my height bounces around. <laughs> Remember, folks, Heartland is well worth uh, driving past. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And thank you, Karen, as always, for your uh, wonderful, wonderful company. Well, thanks. Thank you, Ellen. Thanks to all our listeners who, who either text or call or, or write in. We really appreciate it. And I know it's always great to hear what you have to say about things in nature. So people stay out there and on the ball and observe and we'll share it with Al. Thanks, Al. I, yeah, thank you all. I appreciate everyone. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Crossing the-